Thank you for being here on a rainy, cold Sunday morning. We appreciate your presence. We have a number of visitors with us today. We're glad that you are here. Several of our folks are out. Some are sick. Some are traveling. And we want to be mindful of them in our prayers. We were also mindful as we prayed today of those who are dealing with challenges and struggles and trials in life. And we certainly need to be mindful of the fact that when we come together, uh, we don't always know what other folks are carrying with them, the burdens that they bear. And let's, uh, let's be encouraging and helpful as we have opportunity and let's strengthen one another in the Lord even while we are here today. Glad to be with you, glad to talk with you this morning about Jesus and about his servanthood. Jesus, uh, in dealing with his disciples, especially with the twelve, he was constantly dealing with them in ways that reminds, uh, or re- reminds us, in, in fact, of how parents sometimes have to deal with little children because they were over and over again fussing and bickering among themselves. He would tell them something, teaching them. They didn't get it. He would tell them again. They would seem to forget it. He would remind them again. Then they would seem all surprised when it when it, when it would come about. Jesus had a lot of parental experiences uh, with his disciples. But there was, a, there was a, a, a problem, an argument. There was this bickering that went on among them uh, at times. As they argued among themselves, somebody says, well, they, they had three fundamental arguments, or did they, or did they just have one argument and they just had it three times over? I don't know, but these are some of the passages where you find this uh, as it comes up, and Jesus is dealing with them in the ninth chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning in about verse number 30. They went forth from thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said, Now listen, listen carefully to what he is saying to his disciples. He's passing through Galilee. He's not looking for a stir right now among the people. And he said to them, The Son of Man is delivered up into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he shall rise again. And they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And then they came on to Capernaum. And when he was in the house with them, he asked them, What were you reasoning on the way? (laughs) Now, don't overlook what he had told them on the way. Okay, you're on a trip. Maybe you're going somewhere. You're going with some friends. You're all in the car together. It's a long trip. This already sounds horrible to me. And you're engaged in conversation, and one of them said, you know what's about to happen to me. I'm about to be turned over to my enemies. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die soon. And everybody in the car just acts like, Strange. They, they don't get it. Then they go on. When they arrived at Capernaum, Jesus said to them, 
what were you reasoning on the way? And we would think, wow, Jesus just told them he was going to die. Don't you know? They were talking about how much he had meant to them. Uh, about how their lives were totally changed because of him. How they could not imagine what life was going to be like without him. You can imagine all kinds of things they might have been discussing. But instead, verse 34, they held their peace. For they had disputed one with another on the way who was the greatest. Are you kidding me? The Son of God has just told them that he is about to die. They blow that off and immediately they are into it with each other about who's number one. And Jesus called the twelve to himself and said to them, If any man would be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whosoever shall receive one of such, uh, one of such little children in my name receives me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me but him that sent me. So now they got it, right? Look in chapter 10. There came near unto him James and John, the sons of Zebedee, saying unto him, Teacher, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we ask of thee. And he said, What would you that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left hand, in your glory. But Jesus said unto them, You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said unto them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all, shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for them for whom it hath been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be moved with indignation concerning James and John. And Jesus called them and said unto them, You know that they who are accounted to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whomsoever would be great among you shall be your servant. And whosoever would be first among you shall be servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Look in Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> it's on the... The la it's during the last week of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. And there arose a contention among them, which of them was accounted to be the greatest. 
all, but look at the context. Drop back down to verse 14. The hour has come. Jesus sat down, the apostles with him. He said to them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I shall not eat it until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he received a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I shall not drink from henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance. Jesus has just instituted the supper. What's his... What are the disciples talking about? Who's number one? Jesus, over and over again, was trying to help his disciples learn what, what kingdom life is really all about and what it means to be part of the kingdom and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus, you want to be number one? You want to be first, then be last. You want to be great in the kingdom, then get down on your hands and knees and serve somebody. And that will make you great in the sight of God. The the disciples over and over again were challenged to understand what servanthood in the kingdom really meant. Ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years later, The disciples of Jesus haven't changed much. And we find ourselves, especially in the American culture, we find ourselves challenged to understand what servanthood really means. And so in John the 13th chapter, on that that Thursday night, as they're gathered together in the upper room, they're they're about to eat the Passover together. You remember that Jesus, he gets up from the table. He lays aside his garment. That is to say, he takes off his outer garment like someone who is dressed up with a coat and tie for whatever reason. And he would be ready to do something. He's going to work in the kitchen and he's going to take off his coat so he's free to move, he's free to work. Servants did not wear the outer garment so that they would be free to move, to serve. Servants did not wear long sleeves. They wore short sleeves. That's why in the Old Testament, Joseph's tunic that was given him by his father sometimes is translated long-sleeved tunic. And what it meant was that Joseph, of all of his brothers, he was not regarded as one that worked with his hands. In any event, Jesus took a towel and he girded himself and he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And you remember that Simon Peter objected and he said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And he said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part with me in the kingdom. And then Peter said, yeah, you can bathe my whole body if you want. And then when Jesus finished, he put the towel in the basin away. And he sat down again. I'm in verse 12. And he said to them, do you get it? 
Do you get it? Do you understand, he said? Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. You see that? Jesus is saying to them, I am the Son of God. I have given you an example. Who's the Lord in the room? Jim McGuigan said in his writings as he was commenting on this particular event. He said in the upper room that night, when the feast began, there were 12 lords and one servant. And he girded himself with a towel and took a basin of water and washed their feet. And Jesus is saying to them, do do you get it? Do do you see what I've done? You call me, you call me master or teacher and you call me Lord. But, But if I'm the Lord and I'm the master, then you ought to be washing each other's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his Lord, neither one that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus said to the twelve that night, he's saying to them, and he's about to tell them even more, it's, it's, time's up. He's about to be taken away. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. He's about about to be removed from their presence. And he's saying to them, have you understood anything? Do you get it? Do you understand what the kingdom of God is all about? It's not like the Gentile world. It's It's not like this power structure that's all around you. A servant is not greater than his Lord. If you regard me as the teacher and the Lord, then pay attention to what I'm teaching you. You're no better than me, Jesus said. The servant is not greater than his Lord. You're no better than me. If I can get down on my hands and knees and wash your dirty feet, then for sure, Without question, you can serve one another. And so that's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians, the second chapter, to to a group of Christians who were fussing and bickering over something we don't know what. And, And they were getting their feelings hurt and wearing their feelings on their sleeve and everybody was choosing up teams and seems there were schisms and divisions and that were farming and Paul said, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to have the mind of Christ? He was in heaven reigning with God. 
And yet he did not regard being on an equality with God in heaven as something to hang on to. But he humbled himself. And he came and walked on this earth. And do you know the form that he took? Servant. Servant. And Jesus is saying to his 12, do you get it? Do you get it? And so in Acts, the sixth chapter, when the problem comes up in the early church, they were enjoying all kinds of success. It started on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, and they stood up and began preaching, and 3,000 Jews acknowledged on that day that Jesus of Nazareth, whom they had crucified, was truly the Christ The Son of God, it was evidenced by the signs, wonders, and miracles that had been performed. They had put him to death, but as Peter pointed out, the tomb was empty. Nobody could produce the body, and there was no adequate explanation for that. 3,000 that day on Pentecost, that Sunday morning. And from there, The gospel went forth. Then there are 5,000. Then there are more and more. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the success of the early church is more than of little concern to Satan. Satan is enormously concerned with what's going on. And he is trying in every way to stop the progress of the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John have gone up into the temple at the hour of prayer. They're going to proclaim Christ. They perform a miracle there on a man who is lame. They are arrested and they are threatened in Acts chapter 4 and 5. All the apostles are arrested and they're going to be uh, challenged and they're going to be beaten. But the gospel just keeps on spreading. Now in Acts chapter 6, when, when, when that hasn't worked, the physical persecution. In Acts chapter 6, Satan is trying something else. If he, can't, if he can't stop it by beating on them from without, he's going to try to tear them up from within. And so there arose a murmuring. A murmuring. Among the people. Because, the text says, there were some who had the idea that the Grecian Jews were being neglected. (laughs) This was another attempt to divide people, to set one group of people against another. Let me tell you something. It's 2,000 years since that time. Satan in the world in which we live is still successfully setting one group of people against another over and over again, and he's doing it in every way. But we're talking about within the body of Christ here. And so what he's trying to do now is destroy the unity of the people And one group had the idea that, hey, this isn't fair. 
What you are doing is not fair. Our people aren't getting their fair share. Was that really the case? Was there an oversight going on? Was someone not getting their fair share? It's interesting to me, the Holy Spirit doesn't even address that. Whether it was true, whether it was not true. There was that perception, it was being said, and there was potential that the church was going to divide over this uh, between the Grecians and the Hebrews in the church in Jerusalem. And the apostles called the people together and said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are growing, we are multiplying, we have lots of people here. That means there's lots more work to be done. That means that there are a lot more challenges on the table in front of us. But we're not going to be torn up by this. It is not fit. It's not right. And the apostle said, look, we have a work to do that is fundamental. It is important. It is a kingdom work. It is what we were called to do. It is not right that we should neglect one aspect of the work so that we can rush over and put out a fire in in another aspect of the work. But every aspect of the work is important. And if a fire is burning, it needs to be put out. The church is on the brink of division, and the apostles were saying, we're not the answer to this. Choose from among yourselves seven men. Of good report, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. (laughs) The apostles said, look, We're not here to do everything. We're we're all in this together. There are many, many things to be done, and there are many people to get it done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the church in Corinth, there was a problem, a problem. There were problems that had come up among the Christians there, but uh, uh, among the problems there was the ancient problem the age-old problem that the apostles had, the twelve had during the ministry of Christ. They were all playing this game, it seems, as it pertained to spiritual gifts. God had given them the blessing. You know, Jesus, of all the people in all the world, Jesus selected twelve. Wow. Selected twelve. Really, of all the people in all the world, 12 were specially chosen to be part of that inner circle, that intimate relationship with the Christ himself. They, there were only 12 in all the world. Don't you think it's reasonable? It's reasonable to be thinking, look, if I was chosen out of all the people of all the world to be one of 12, I don't care what job he gave to me, or where I stood in the life. If I made the cut, if I was one of the 12, far more than I ever dreamed, far more than I ever deserved. Is that the way they thought? No. There were 12 of them now, 12 out of all the world, and they are fussing among themselves who's number one. Who's the greatest among the 12? 
What's going on in Corinth? God, in the abundance of his grace, has poured out the manifestations of the Spirit. If you had the opportunity to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to have a brother or a sister who had a wonderful spiritual gift to share with you that would strengthen your faith, that would strengthen the church, that would be a blessing to others. Wouldn't you just count it a joy and a privilege to be living in such a time and to have such an opportunity, even to have a brother or sister near you who could bless your life in such a way? But instead, this turned into rivalry and competition and another, another episode of who's number one. And the Apostle Paul said, that is not what the body of Christ is all about. It, it, it's not about rising to the top. It's not about climbing over the heads of all of your brethren and looking down at the little peons below. It's not about Superman or Superwoman in the church. It's about the privilege of being a child of God and the privilege of serving in the kingdom. And Paul said, we were not all given the same gifts. We were not all given the same opportunities. We were not all given the same task. We were not all placed in the body or in the service of the kingdom in the same way. But Paul said, I want you to understand something. We were placed there just like God wanted it. That's just how he designed his church. That's just how he intended for it to operate. And so in the New Testament, somebody said, well, you know, 2,000 years ago, Churches had elders and deacons and preachers and teachers, but, I mean, that was 2,000 years. Today, you know, we've come a long way since then. There have been a lot of changes in the world since then. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, that with all the changes you want to list, the fundamentals of this world don't change. You see something, you say, hey, there's something new. It has been. Why do you have special servants in the church? I, I, I will say something that I think needs to be said more often we need to be verbally voicing an appreciation for our commitment to the authority of the word of God a commitment to following the pattern of New Testament Christianity. Somebody says, why, why do you all still have that organizational structure of elders and deacons? 
first and foremost. Because that is what is written in the Word of God, and that is the pattern of the New Testament church to which we have made a commitment. Well, I, I could think of other ways, and you get the bless your heart award, but I'm saying, that's really not the point. Well, I'm not so sure how well that works. Let me, let me say something to you. When God gave his people instructions from the days of antiquity until now, he never asked them to put it up to the uh, test of pragmatism. You, you go out there and try this out, see, see how well it works for you, and come back and we'll decide... To the contrary, God said, let, let me make something straight with you right now. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. Well, that's not the way I would do it. Well, let me remind you of something God said. I am God and you are not. That's what that little story was about, the analogy of the potter and the clay. He can make it just like he wants it. And he can do with it whatever he chooses. Why don't we have deacons in the New Testament church? We have deacons <clears throat> because, first of all, that is what the Bible teaches and it's consistent with the pattern of New Testament Christianity. Secondly, according to Acts chapter 6, it, it certainly plays in from a practical standpoint. We can see, though it wouldn't change the truthfulness of it, we can see the practicality of it as it plays into the proper functioning of the body and to deliver us from the dysfunction of the body. And thirdly, we can see the practicality of having deacons because 2,000 years into the history of Christianity, there's still the problem of dirty feet and needy saints. There are tasks to be done. And for that reason, God's people who are immersed in the servant mindset, God's people who are focused on the objective of servanthood in the kingdom. God's people who were following the example of Jesus who said, a servant is not greater than his Lord. Pay attention. God's people. who are honoring the authority of His Word, and who are following the example of the Christ, embrace with enthusiasm and 
with a great deal of anticipation the opportunity not only to serve, but to structure our servanthood in a way that pleases and honors God. You want to be a servant of the Lord. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, there is no better way to serve Him than by first giving your life to Him. If you've never confessed the name of Jesus and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that this morning and begin your service to Him. And if you're a child of God and you have taken leave of your service, our prayer for you this morning is that you would come back home with a renewed commitment to serve the Lord as you serve his people. Won't you come while we stand and sing?